Part of the issue for leaders, for so many leaders, is that so many people end up in leadership roles because they're really good at their job. They're really good on the tools or they're really good, you know, I'm a really good accountant, I'm a really good engineer or a really good plumber. It doesn't mean I'm a really good leader. We have this expectation that because you go through the ranks that suddenly you can lead people. And I think it's very hard to get people to work together in a team and to achieve outcomes. So my book is very much a handbook about how to do that because when people are stressed and leading when you're not used to leading can be quite scary because you've got to be successful but you're not quite sure what you're doing. Welcome to episode 131 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from people who inspire and motivate others to help teach you how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Conflict is something many of us would normally try to avoid. Driven by a breakdown in communication, conflict resolution requires open and respectful conversations that whilst may feel awkward, deliver incredible results. Kate Russell is a professional conflict mediator who has worked in the area of conflict resolution for 25 years. In her new book, Leaders Who Lead, Kate details the effective leadership skills and methods of prevention that help disrupt the cycle of conflict. In today's episode of Be The Drop, Kate shares her story of health and dependency and how the experience of changing her life has revolutionised her approach to conflict. Kate discusses how communication, empathy and courage are central to resolving issues and preventing them from occurring again. This is Kate's version of Be The Drop. Considering starting your own podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, I also deliver podcast training programs. Hit the links in the show notes for more. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on our next episode of Be The Draw. Thank you so much for having me. We're here today to chat through a number of things. You've mm-hmm. recently released a book called yes. Leaders Who Lead. Yes. I won't get into that straight away because okay. I know you've also got your item of significance mm-hmm. and that's going to tell us a little bit about you, your background and how you connect yep. with your community. Yes. Okay, so my item of significance is my teacup. And the reason why that's significant to me is, one, I work in the area of conflict And I always think that the best way to deal with conflict is to sit down and talk about it. And it's much easier to do that just over a cup of tea, quietly, calmly, talking through issues. And the other part of it is, is that previously, about five years ago, I stopped drinking alcohol and I have had a history of an alcohol addiction and drinking too much. And I haven't had a drink for five years, but I've had a lot of tea. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I, I drink a lot of tea now. Great. Well, yeah. thank that. There's a couple of things that I want yeah. to unpack in. You mentioned firstly you work in the area of conflict. Yes. So what does that mean? I assume you're okay. not going around creating conflict. Oh uh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, I could. It's quite easy to get a conflict started. No, I am. Um, <clears throat> I'm a mediator by trade, so I'm a mediator and a trained conflict coach. 
uh, and I've worked with people in high levels of conflict for the last 30 years. I've done a lot of workplace mediation, working with teams, and I've also worked on the fringes of family law in the area of child support, making decisions about how much money one parent pays to the other when there's a dispute. Mm. And that works incredibly intense um, and it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about how people react when they're very stressed. And it's basically guided me into the principles that I now use in conflict generally about how to look after people when there is a conflict uh, and how to approach it. And it's the basis of my book. Mm. So you're coming in and dealing with people in a very raw state. Mm-hmm. You know, conflict is yes. heightened emotions. Yes. Everybody's feeling all the feelings and yes. not necessarily the good spectrum of yes. feelings when we're talking conflict. That's right. What are some of the techniques you use in dealing with that? The number one technique I use is to believe people. So in that moment when people are in a high level of conflict, they believe very much that they're right. Uh, and if you tell them that they're wrong, then they will. you just create a wall immediately. So I always go with people and I always believe them and I let them vent. Um, so then once I've got their trust, then I can start exploring a whole lot of reasons why this might have happened. But in the very first moment, you just, you just go with it. You mm. just let people get off their chest what they need to get off their chest and you don't challenge it. No. You're coming in as a third party to mm. help with this resolution of conflict. Yes. Uh, but, you know, even as applying that for a person within conflict, because, um, you know, the person that's in conflict is very much determined that their, you know, their way mm. is right. Mm-hmm. But then quite frequently, so is the, you know, other Absolutely. party or parties involved Absolutely. in that conflict. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> what sort of strategies do you implement personally to do that? You know, how, because you believe you're right, but then I suppose it's a give and take, you know, you've got to. So that's what we do. So conflict coaching um that was created, it's a, it's a process created by Cindy Noble and she's in Canada. In conflict coaching, we use strategies where we start exploring what were your values in that moment, what were your needs in that moment, and how did you want to be perceived? And you just go through that process very slowly to really unpack all of those things. Once you've gone through that, then you step into the shoes of the other person. So what do you think their values were in that moment and what did they need? And by doing the process it's incredible how much clarity people get when they have to explain themselves to another person, particularly a third party mm. who doesn't have a vested interest. It's, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. They often talk themselves out of something. Um, it's, they get suddenly see something they didn't see before. So we quite often would use that process prior to mediation. Then when the parties come together, they've actually thought about what the other person was going through and it's a much easier process. Mm. So you're doing a lot of, delivering a lot of workplace conflict resolution. Was that some of the drivers for the book or is it a mix of everything? Well, what I'm doing a lot more of these days is actually trying to prevent the need for mediation because what I've found is that in many workplaces, if we go to mediation, that generally means that the situation has got so out of hand that the third party's been brought in to try and fix something And it may or may not be resolved. It depends on how far things have gone. And what I've learned over the years is that what is often the case is that the problem looks like it's over here with these two employees, but realistically, the leaders actually have contributed somewhat towards that conflict. And that might be because of that lack of clarity. There's, you know, there's a whole range of things that could be going on. The book came about because I wanted to help leaders prevent situations getting 
to that point because it's very expensive. Mm. It's very expensive to have a conflict because you usually lose at least one member of staff, often two. So I'd much rather work with leaders and their teams to provide, to pro, to provide a conflict-resilient res, workplace so that they can actually deal with issues going forward. Yeah, so it's a much more proactive uh, approach than yes. being reactive. Yes, yeah, yes, very so, much so. And, and as you mentioned then around the culture mm. and the impact that mm. negative conflict can have on culture mm. and then I suppose what you're looking at is the reverse of that, yeah. how a positive culture, a healthy culture that, you know, has this open communication mm. and an approach to re- resolutions mm. of issues is going to be a much better place for people to work, which is going to increase your productivity. Absolutely. And, you know, All of the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely true. So that's really interesting. So your process has come about right, sort of like, well, I'm going to get myself, yeah. cut myself out of the work that I yeah. do, but really you've re-engineered yourself. I've re-engineered it. Um, it's a lot more positive. We have a lot of fun. I work with leaders and their teams because it's really important that the leader hears the team but it also provides a safe space for the team to speak up and we workshop a whole lot of things. So a lot of what I do is about what does respect look like in this workplace? What does a really good day look like and how can we get more of that? What do we need to put in place to make that happen most of the time? It's never going to happen all of the time. And if there is a conflict, and there will be because we're human and we're not Mm. going to agree, and in fact I think it's healthy to have conflict. You know, we need it for ethical reasons, we need it to identify that there's a problem, something's not working. I mean, there's always going to be conflict. But how can we approach it so that we recognise that this is a process rather than a personal attack? So, and there's a couple of things there. I love that, you know, asking the question, what does respect mm. look like mm. in, in this workplace? And I don't know that that's a conversation that necessarily happens frequently, but you can imagine that that's such an empowering sort of conversation, particularly if you're involving your staff in yes. that. Yes, So that everybody you know, because respect is such a critical part of self-worth and value. Yeah. When I do mediations, we do um, an agenda. We create an agenda of the issues. And I can tell you that the number one item on pretty much every agenda is respect. Fantastic. So what is your plan for the book? What's the next steps around that? Well, the next steps is getting it out to people. So um, I've been using it. So I created a model, uh, a team harmony model based on all of my experience and uh, I'm using it as the basis of a training program. So I've now released a program called Teams That Thrive. Part of the issue for leaders, for so many leaders, is that so many people end up in leadership roles because they're really good at their job. They're really good on the tools or they're really good, you know, I'm a really good accountant, I'm a really good engineer or a really good plumber. It doesn't mean I'm a really good leader. And I think that we have this expectation that because you go through the ranks that suddenly you can lead people. And I think it's very hard to get people to work together in a team and to achieve outcomes. So my book is very much a handbook about how to do that because when people are stressed and leading when you're not used to leading can be quite scary because you've got to be successful but you're not quite sure what you're doing so it's very much a a handbook for people learning how to lead. Mm, And it's interesting isn't it because that progression does so often happen where people will work in a job keep you know moving up in the ranks and be in a management position Mm. and their management is much more about people than the actual. Yes task so you've got quite a few things going on then you know you've created this new online course released a book you know was there some sort of key moments that have come about and really changed this focus and direction well I think my own journey 
to being healthier has definitely been um, a significant part of that process. Five years ago, I was hospitalised with morbidly high blood pressure. I didn't realise how unwell I was. And I eventually got read the right act by my doctor who said, if you don't start looking after yourself, you're going to die. And I didn't have any time for that. So <laughs> that sort of changed my whole life. And I lost 30 kilos in eight months and I started exercising and running and I stopped drinking alcohol. And so that changed my whole focus of life. And I started working out, how do you get the memo? Like I didn't get the memo before, but now, you know, I've got the memo, I need to look after myself. And then in all of my work, when you work in conflict, you're constantly dealing with a problem. How do you get people to get the memo? Like there are so many elements of the workplace which are negative if we don't, and, and yet they shouldn't be. You know, work should be a great place. And in many instances, for a lot of people, it is that one stable part of their lives. They know that when they go to work, this is what's expected of them. And when they go home, a whole heap of other things might happen for them. But how can we make workplaces as healthy as, as possible so that when people go home at night, they've got the best chance of having healthy relationships with their family who they love. Because what I realised was that I was treating the people that I loved the most the worst. I was grumpy and rude and because I was drinking too much and I was stressed and I was not looking after them. But I'd get on the phone to a client and I would be sweetness and light, like mm. I could look yeah. after them. So I wanted, to th I, I wanted to apply that. How can we stop and slow down and actually look after people better? It absolutely resonates with me what you're saying. You know, this <laughs> the work-life balance concept mm. isn't something that I really prescribe to either. There, I read a book called The One Thing, mm. and it's about counterbalance. Mm. And so it's you focus on one thing at a time, which mm. means you're not going to be focusing on something else, but you counterbalance that at another time mm. by focusing on that. But it it means that you realise that there is this interconnection with everything. Yeah. And at one point in time we can focus on, on, on one thing Yes. and then we'll focus on something else, which yes. means we might not focus on our family or work at a particular time, but mm -hmm. we'll counterbalance that. Yeah. Mm. So for you it's, it's really interesting interesting you've come to this through you know your work yeah. has really evolved and expanded through a life yeah. scenario yeah. And, and coming to terms with your health and yeah. managing that yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. and and so for you what were some of the key things the key learnings takeaways that from this experience you're looking back and seeing the biggest changes that have happened the biggest changes were that I used to reward myself because life was hard I work in the area of conflict so at the end of the day, I deserved a glass of wine because my life was hard. And then I deserved another glass of wine and sort of, so it continued. And what I did was I changed, I, I disrupted myself and, and I disrupted it, well basically the doctor disrupted it for me and then I went, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I changed what I did. So, and, and I, I, I really like disruption as a concept. The disruption element of what I went through just made me see the world in quite a different way. I've always been sort of proactive, but this was like, I just didn't think we should keep going the way we we're going. And I just, in the workplace mediations, it just became clearer and clearer that this is a leadership issue. How do leaders contribute towards the conflict rather than why, you know, this, not this, this feeling that I've got two employees who don't get on and it's their problem. It's, it's, it's not just their problem. Mm. Leadership can really contribute towards that that outcome. Mm. So it's a really shifting of the lenses. Yeah. And and taking that responsibility earlier. It's going into leadership with a mindset that I've got responsibilities to look after these people rather than they've got a responsibility to do something for me. It's it's taking responsibility for 
outcomes. Mm. Mm. And not, not just necessarily bottom line, but inadvertently through your people, that is going to be bottom line, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's just, it is so much more efficient and effective to look after people than to punish them. Mm. You know, fear is not a great motivator. Mm. People like to go to work to play, n- not, not to be punished. They, they go to work to play more than they go to work for money. If you can do what you love, it's just so rewarding. So make it easy for people to love what they do. Mm. Mm. And, and, and I think, and it's good, but, it, you know, obviously they, you've written a book about it, so yeah. it, it isn't necessarily easy to do. But That's as you're saying, easy. try and try with the goal for that. It is obviously a challenging thing to do. And the second thing you mentioned after respect was communication. Yes. Now, that I hear myself as well mm. frequently as a challenge for internal relationships, internal communication about just even just internal awareness, not even in the conflict side. Mm, mm. So what, what is the work that you do in that space? It's learning to be curious rather than judgmental and it takes time. So when you're very stressed, it's very easy to be judged for the judgmental part of your brain to kick in and go, this is what this is, when in fact it might not be that at all. So communication is learning how to be quiet, to ask really great questions. And sometimes you won't even have the best question, but just ask a question rather than state a fact. Because if you ask a question, you're giving the other person an opportunity to tell you what's going on rather than you assuming that something's going on. And communication, and, and we're not talking just about the verbal communication, I can't tell you how many mediations I've done about emails and mm. people being offended by somebody being curt or direct on email or not signing it, signing it off in a certain way or whatever. And people... Because we, we jump to conclusions. We are mm. very quick to, you know, it's our brain protecting ourselves. We're looking for danger. And sadly, um, somebody's just trying to get across some information and we misread it. So, mm. And it's Challenge. learning how to not take things personally. Mm. And it's also learning how, and this is conflict or not conflict, getting your brain to think what's going on for this person in this moment. And conflict is often silent. It's what we're thinking, but we don't actually say it at all. There is multiple times when I've worked with people and they have a real issue with another person in the organisation, but they've never, ever said anything and they've made all these assumptions and they just live in this world where they churn this information over and over. They've never checked it out. They've never tested the waters. Mm. And I always find that when you finally get two people in a room, like if you do need to get to a mediation or a facilitated conversation and you get them together and they suddenly hear each other, it's gold. Mm. It's just gold because suddenly they recognise the humanity in the other person. And I think anyone who's been through these types of processes will realise the value because it's exhausting to hold on to, mm. uh, you know, as you say, the, the silent people that mm. are holding on to issues and feeling that. It's actually physically yeah. and emotionally exhausting. Yes. So once you've been through and realised that it's so much better to save yourself all that time and angst yeah. and just, you know, yeah. deal with things as deal they arise, yeah. you know, then it's quite liberating. It is. And it's, uh, and, I, uh, and we all know that feeling that you put off doing something, you think it's going to be difficult and then you make the phone call and you go, oh, is that it? <laughs> it was nothing. It didn't turn out to be, I've blown this out of all proportion and it was nothing. And often I find when people do have to have start what they consider to be a difficult conversation, it's just the first few words that are difficult. And, I, and vulnerability is a, a huge part of all of this. It is about being able to open yourself up to hear something that you may or may not want to hear. Mm, which is scary. Which is know? scary. I, yeah. don't, I don't like vulnerability. 
No. <laughs> I get the value yeah. of it 100%. But, yeah. you know, I mean, if you're working, there's stuff that's going to happen. So you do protect yourself yeah. just naturally. Absolutely. So yeah. I often guide people to start these conversations by telling the other person that I'm feeling incredibly stressed. Can we talk about something? And then, and then the other person recognises in that moment that you're feeling very stressed so that they take it very seriously mm. and then they're listening. Mm. Whereas if you come to a, a conversation, often we blame, often it's very easy, you made me feel like this or whatever, which is not helpful language. But if you come from the position of I feel really stressed and you don't have to give any other detail, you don't have to say mm. it's this emotion or whatever, just a level of stress. The other person's got your ear and you go, feeling stressed, I don't understand what's happened and be curious then suddenly you've just opened a conversation. So it doesn't have to be where you have to say, I cried all last night or whatever. It's just, I feel stressed. That's as vulnerable as you need to be in the first mm. instance. Just let the other person know that there's a problem so that you can work it out. Mm. And then you've given a framework as well, yeah. as you said, because you're saying it's about me, yeah. not necessarily putting it yeah. onto that other person. That's right. I look, it's incredibly valuable. I mean, I think sometimes my husband hates it. I've had a lot of training in the language and mm. communication mm. and how to mm. deal with conflict. So um, he's he thinks I have an unfair advantage <laughs> <laughs> when we have resolution issues at home. <laughs> I'm like, well, go practice, buddy. <laughs> Oh, uh, I mean, communication skills are invaluable everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that when we're really stressed, that's when everything falls apart and we just, you know, we go back to what we've learned, our, you know, our MO from childhood, whatever. Mm. You, can, you can see people become immature. The more stressed they get, they sort of their brain just stops functioning and they, they're looking for someone to attack because they're so stressed. You, mm. see, you see it all the time. So, you know, is there a couple of key sort of stress management tactics you talk about? There's a whole range of different things that people could do. But I think some exercise every day, whether it's just going for a walk around the block or whatever, but getting out and walking because walking's so good for creativity and just getting your brain to sort of deal with issues so you can process information when you're walking so if you're static so walking is definitely one of them and getting enough sleep I think and and sleep's a really big issue in our workplaces people are so stressed and then they don't sleep it just ups the ante really of, of people's stress levels finding ways to get sleep and to relax because um, if we're tired we all know we all know who we can be when we're tired mm. um it's it, it, looking after yourself, exercise and sleep would be the number one for me. Mm. Mm. It's so interesting because that are definitely my and definitely both of those mm. are my number ones. And one mm. of my goals for this year is trying to get better sleep patterns. <laughs> yeah. I'm not it's, I'm yeah. not working on it, so no. it's not happening yet. But no. I'll get there. Yeah, no, no. When I when I part of my journey of health was, I mean, the reason why I ended up at the doctors was because I couldn't sleep. And if I hadn't gone to the doctors because I couldn't sleep, I was just wanting a tablet. Like, give me a tablet. And they never did. But anyway. Um, but <laughs> Sounds I, like they did the right thing, though. <laughs> they they did the changed right thing. your life. So they did change good. my life. So it was, really, it was really good. But it, but it is interesting that even now I can sleep. I, I get up very early in the morning and exercise. And so that has really helped me sleep because by the time I get to bed at night, I'm mm. exhausted. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So the concept of Be The Drop is around a quote that I really love, which is a waterfall begins with one drop and look mm -hmm. what comes from there. So it's around communicating and inspiring others to yeah. join you in your passion. Yeah. Well, I've created my own. Good. Well, it's, well, it's sort of my own. But, yeah, I, I, I say because people matter. So you do whatever you do because people matter. It doesn't matter who you are. 
it's just important that we look after each other. And if we, if we have empathy and care for each other, then it just, we can then help people through problems. But when we're not empathetic and we start attacking each other, then you know, we're not going to resolve those conflicts mm. because it is about winning and losing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Kate. Yeah. I have loved hearing about your journey and also some tips for conflict resolution. Mm. In conclusion, though, can you share with us Kate's Be The Drop tip? So that's your top tip for communication. To be curious, to always be curious and not assume anything. But there's always something we don't know. There's always a reason why people have done what they've done. And it might not, the behaviour may not be okay, but there's still a reason behind why they've behaved in that manner in the first place. So if we can't start exploring why things happen rather than what's happened, we're going to have more empathy for people because we'll, we'll understand them better. So always remain curious. Why mm. did this happen? And I love that as a concept for communication because that is making communication really active. Mm. You're not, as you said, it's not literally, it's not just about the talking. No. It's about the listening. It's about understanding the other people's perspective in the communication because yeah. it's a very active, mm. um, involved process. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au and don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.